If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. The King James says, One who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without, without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That we may find help in time of need. I want to preach to you just for a little while. On the subject, God isn't tired of you. God isn't tired of you. Now, for some of you, this is going to be very, very simple. Very simple. And for some of you others, this may be a key to a breakthrough in your life, or at the least, a greater understanding of the nature of God and a greater understanding of where you stand as a child of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that it is your word that is the authority we stand on. So make us conformed and subject to your word here today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and just be a teacher to every one of us here. In times like these, God, we need an anchor. We need a foundation, and that is you, Jesus. Help us to turn our eyes to you here today, God. If there is anyone hurting, if there is anyone with a need, physical, spiritual, financial. Let all of us turn to you and keep our eyes upon you, Lord, looking neither to the left or to the right, God, allowing you to uphold us and to take us where we ought to be, God. I pray that you bless your people here today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God isn't tired of you. What I mean by that statement is, That God is not tired of your weaknesses and shortcomings and temptations. Those shortcomings and weaknesses that you may have, they do not cause God to become exasperated or frustrated with you to the point that He gives up on you. In the scripture we read, it says that we have a high priest who can sympathize or can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, that He understands the weakness of our flesh, the frailty of life, and the temptations that we face. And as a child of God, a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, God is not tired of you. Despite your weaknesses, despite the temptations you face, despite the challenges you face in life, He will never be so impatient and exasperated with you as His child that He will cast you out all to yourself. Today, I want to refute the lie that many are tempted to believe that God has His finger pointed at the door of His house, if you will, yelling at you as His child saying, Get out! I'm tired of your weakness and infirmity. For some people, that's their view of God the Father. That it's just one moment away from Him casting me out and kicking me from the realm of His goodness. I want you to remember 
that while we do serve a God who is a righteous ruler and judge over all the earth, aren't you thankful that He is your Father? Aren't you thankful that you are a child of God? That you, you are a co-heir with Christ, the Son of God, and you are a child of God. And as God's children, He deals with you as His cherished children who He dearly loves. God's patience, His loving kindness, His goodness, His wisdom, it will never be depleted by your need. Whatever God has and His resources, it will never be depleted by your need. Listen, God, He never throws up His hands with impatience over your life and says, you're just too hard of a case for me. You're just too hard of a case for me. I don't know that I can help you anymore. Maybe there's been some of you over the course of your life where you've been up, you've been down, and you've been in a hard spot. And maybe you yourself were difficult for people to deal with. And maybe people just didn't have an answer for you. They weren't able to help you. And they just threw their hands up and said, I don't know what to tell you. I can't help you. Or maybe you're in a situation where your resources, your means is just not enough to meet the need at hand. And all you can do is pray for somebody. But I want you to know that as a child of God, a child of God, this message is for a child of God. For the child of God, he never throws his hands up in impatience and turns his back on you and says, you take care of yourself. He never does that for his children. And like any good father, like any good father, sometimes God has to tell us no. Anybody ever been told no by God? Any good parent is not going to say yes to everything their children ask for. Because if I did, I would be bankrupt. And that my children would not be blessed and they would not know what they're asking for and what the end of their wish would end up being. But God knows best for all of us. And as a good father, sometimes he says no and sometimes he corrects us and chastises us. Sometimes he's got to spank us a little sometimes because God is never pleased with sin in your life and my life. And because he loves his glory... And because He loves you so much, and He hates sin so much, He will not leave you to yourself to fend for yourself against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is hard to backslide. It is hard to turn your back against God because He will do everything and supply every resource you need for victory in your life. He has supplied everything Everything in Christ Jesus and what He accomplished on the cross, He has accomplished everything for you, for your victory over sin and your eventual glorification in His presence in heaven. And I'm so thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life who has been there to convert me, to cleanse me and continually sanctify me and put His finger on things in my life. He loves us too much to allow us to remain the same. And you as a, as a child of God, you have a particular benefit that I want to differentiate with the unbeliever. 
Because for the unbeliever, the person who is not in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they're not a believer, they're not a Christian, there is an expiration for the long-suffering of God upon the unbeliever. The long-suffering of God does have an expiration date for the sinner. Peter tells us that God is not slack concerning His promises in 2 Peter chapter 3. But you've got to consider that His long-suffering is salvation. But the day of the Lord is coming, and He's not slack concerning His promises. And don't you know that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation? He's holding off judgment, holding off judgment for the hope that the sinner would respond to His mercy, to His loving kindness, and repent and come into saving knowledge with Jesus Christ. But Peter tells us that the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the Word of God, are also reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There is an expiration date when it comes to the long-suffering of God upon the unbeliever. And if his long-suffering never came to an end, that means there would never be judgment. But one day, everyone will have to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for their life. And one day, his long-suffering will no longer hold off the judgment that is soon to approach. That is, that is the demise of the unbeliever. But you as a child of God, there is no expiration date on God's patience and His long-suffering and His work in your life. Because you are a blood-bought Christian who now is in the fold of God and He does everything He can to sustain you, to strengthen you, and to bring you into completion. I'm so thankful that as a child of God, there is no judgment for me. There is no judgment hanging over my head that just as Paul told the Thessalonian Christians, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have been saved from wrath because the wrath of God was poured upon His Son at Calvary. And now, as one who has placed faith in Jesus Christ, you have all the benefits as a son and daughter of God. And no matter how good of a child you are right now, or how bad you are right now, or how bad you used to be, God does not give up on His children. God is not tired of you. He understands more than anyone what you face, what you deal with, the battles of your mind, the temptations that you face, the challenges of your life, what your home life was, is like, what you face on a daily mat and daily matters, what you face at work. He sees it all and he sympathizes with everything you face. He sympathizes with your weaknesses, your infirmities, and he says, I love you enough not to leave you where you're at. I have all the patience in the world to sanctify and complete you and conform you to my son. God's not tired of you. God's not exasperated with you. There is no expiration of God's patience with his children. The Lord always responds to a sincere cry. <clears throat> he always responds to a contrite and broken spirit. He cannot resist it. 
The high and lofty one, he abides with the lowly and contrite and humble in spirit. And the one who is sincere and real and authentic and who wants God and wants his life, he cannot resist to give you every resource you ask because grace flows down to the humble. God, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So wherever you are right now, even if you're a seasoned Christian for the last 40 years, or if you're a baby Christian, the grace of God will flow down to you as you humble yourself. Let me just share with you. This is not an all-inclusive list, but I just want to share with you three ways in which God is not tired of you in your life. Is that okay? Here's three ways. You could go on and on. Here's three ways in which God is not tired with you. He's not exasperated by you. He's not frustrated by you. Can he be grieved by us? Sure. Is there, if there's sin in our lives, he's displeased. But if you're seeking the Lord, if you're pursuing him, if you're sincere, oh, he'll provide everything you need, beloved. He'll provide you everything you need to bring you to completion. Number one, God doesn't get tired of comforting you. God never tires of comforting you. I want you to know that God's arms are always ready for embrace. His ears are always ready to hear. And His mouth is ever ready to speak words of life, love, and assurance. But for some of you here today, whether if this is your experience right now or if you've experienced this in the past, some of you feel like you're an inconvenience to the Father. Some of you feel like you're an inconvenience to the Father. But I want you to know, I don't care how many times you've prayed the same prayer, He listens. You are not an inconvenience to your Father in heaven. You come to Him a thousand times. You cry, you cry to Him a thousand times. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever heartbreak has occurred in your life, you go to Him and you cry out. He cannot help but respond to the cries of His children. In the same way that God cannot resist the cries of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, to the point that he told Moses in Exodus 3.7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God is well acquainted with your sorrow and your grief. And in the time that you need greatest comfort, you are not an inconvenience to the Father. You're not an inconvenience to the Father. How many of you have ever gone to prayer with the Lord and you say, God, and here's how you start your prayer, God, it's me again. Here I come again. The same prayer, the same problem even. And you know what he says? Give it to me again. Let me comfort you again. Let me hold you again. Come sit in my lap, if you will. Let me embrace you. Let me love you. Let me speak to you. Let me encourage you. Because he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He can 
He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities and our weaknesses. Some of you have heard me tell this story in the experience of my life when I was a fourth grader. When I was a little fourth grader going from third grade into fourth grade, I had this experience that I've never had before then and never had since. But I went through a season of immense anxiety and nearly panic attacks in fourth grade. I don't know if it's a transition from a different school or just a, a change in life, but my little, my little fourth grade life, I had such anxiety and panic over what the next day would hold. If there was something being taught in school and I couldn't get it, I would freak out and I would panic and have, be extremely anxious over homework and things I had to do. And I remember just sitting on a Sunday night. We were going to Faith Assembly in Lumberton. I remember just sitting there dreading the next day of going to school and, and in my little mind thinking, I wish I were just dead because I didn't want to face the next day. But I remember every single night I would lay in my bed and my mother would come lay in bed next to me and talk to me until I went to sleep. And I remember asking her, Mom, tell me it's going to be okay. I remember her telling me, Stephen, it's going to be okay. I remember her loving me, comforting me, doting on me, hugging me, kissing me, comforting me, holding me. And don't you know that my mom never got frustrated with me? She never got impatient. She never got exasperated. Why? Because she loves me. And because I'm her child. And all the grief and heartache and anxiety that I was feeling, that mother was feeling it too. She was experiencing it too. She was hurting right along with me. And she would embrace me and hug me in the middle of the night. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you know the Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to us? Don't you know as much as our earthly parents love us, as much as we love our children, don't you know God in heaven loves an infinitely amount more than our earthly parents? You need comfort. You need help. You need guidance. You need wisdom. You need to be embraced by the Lord. He's not tired of you. He's not tired of you. But I want to add this. My parents never coddled me. They never let me stay at home. I had to go to school every single day and face, and face that adversity that was before me. They loved me. They cared for me. They comforted me. They gave me assurance. But you know what? I woke up every morning and I went to school. Whether if I was scared to death or not. The Lord doesn't want you to be in His presence throwing a pity party for yourself. He wants you to be encouraged and strengthened to go back into life and be victorious in it. He may not take you out of that experience, but He's going to bring you through it. He'll comfort you all the way through. God's not tired of you, and He's not tired of us when it comes to comforting us through experiences of life. Number two, God doesn't get tired of 
teaching you. Any of you here today, stubborn learners, slow learners, you know, in school, I was terrible at math. And you know what? I'm still terrible at math. If you watch me close, just intermediate math, I'm over here using my fingers. I'm not very good at math. But you put trigonometry and calculus in front of me, I'm going to bomb every time. But I'm especially good at English and history and social studies, but I was a terrible student when it comes to math. I hate math. I hate math. But oftentimes the success of a student is not necessarily dependent upon that student's abilities, gifting, or intellect, but oftentimes their ability to succeed in whatever subject it is oftentimes is dependent upon the skillfulness of that teacher. And what I needed in school, middle school and high school and college, in college I took remedial math. It was a math class that you didn't even get credit for. I was like, if I'm going to pass regular math, I need to take remedial math so I can, I can pass college. And what I needed in order to be successful was a good teacher. I needed a good teacher. And there were two things that I needed from a teacher. I needed whatever the content was. I needed it explained clearly in terms I could understand. And then, just as important, I needed it explained patiently until I understood. It's one thing if the teacher has the ability to explain to you something that is very complicated. But does that teacher have enough patience to hang around with you until you finally get it? It's a very special teacher. Grade school, middle school, high school, college, whatever it is, whatever area of academia, it's a very special teacher who can clearly articulate very complicated subjects and make it easy to understand, but then have the patience to bear with whichever student it is until that student gets it. And although Jesus was rejected by the religious elite, he had a reputation as a rabbi wherever he went. What does rabbi mean? It means teacher. It means teacher. And Jesus, unlike the scribes, he spoke with authority that came from himself and from above, and along with all of his teachings came accompanying signs and wonders. And the twelve disciples, they were on the front row in the classroom of Jesus, being instructed by the greatest teacher to ever walk earth, the greatest rabbi to ever walk earth. Yet his disciples, you read throughout the, the Gospels, how many times were they so slow to grasp the truths that he was trying to tell them? They were pretty dull sometimes, weren't they? They were slow of hearing and slow of understanding. But did Jesus give up on them? When they just didn't get it, did he say, okay, okay, I made a big mistake with you, Peter. I thought you were a good choice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you back to your hometown. I'm going to pick another disciple for myself. No. He picked all those disciples 
with all their junk and mess and their lack of understanding and their slowness of of understanding. And 24-7 for three years, he patiently endured and taught them and ate with them and traveled with them and spent time with their families and showed them who he was and everything that he did. They would be the apostles upon which the church would be built. And he was intent on preparing them by teaching them. By teaching them. And even up to the point of his arrest, he was teaching them. After the Last Supper, what did he do? He took off his outer garments, he put on his servants' uh, garments, took a towel, and he knelt down and he washed every single one of their feet. Of their feet. And he said, right now you don't understand what I'm doing. But you'll understand later. And he was teaching them, this is what greatness in the kingdom of heaven is. It's serving. It's serving. It is sacrificial love. And even up to the point of his greatest or his most agonizing moment in the garden of Gethsemane, he was still not completely unto himself, preoccupied with only his agony. He took James, Peter, and John into the garden with him and he said, come and watch with me. Did he need strength from James, Peter, and John? No. But he was trying to teach them something in that moment. This is the greatest moment of your temptation. And I'm being tempted to let this cup pass from me. And I'm teaching you right now. The greatest remedy against temptation is to pray and to access the strength of God. And I'm teaching you something, James, Peter, and John. Just watch. But man, they fell asleep. Even to the moment he was being arrested, he cared about teaching these disciples. And even after he rose and was glorified and came to them, he used the scriptures to open their eyes as to God's redemptive plan for the cross of Calvary. And all of you here today, you have just as a good teacher as those 12 disciples had then. Because you have one who is just like Jesus as a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have the Holy Spirit who Jesus said of in this way. He said, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit came to do everything that Jesus did in bodily form. You have the same benefit of those 12 disciples. You have the same benefit of Jesus being the greatest teacher. You now, every single one of us as children of God, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you as a teacher. And He comes to glorify Jesus and to teach you and lead you into all truth. And I want you to know this. The Holy Spirit takes into account every single one of you and your personality and what you've experienced and how you learn. And just like the teacher that I needed for math who could clearly articulate things to me in a way that I could understand and they would patiently endure with me, the Holy Spirit knows exactly how you operate, how you're wired, how you receive information, and He teaches you so that you can understand. Not all of us learn the same way, but we all learn by the same mediator. 
the same medium. That is the Holy Spirit. But he knows exactly how what your life experience has been. He knows just the right amount of firmness and gentleness to bring into your life. He knows how to convict you. And he knows that what may convict you in a certain way may not convict somebody else. And he speaks to every single one of us. Not something different, but he speaks in such a way so that all of us can understand the same truth. And then you know what? He patiently endures until you get it. He sits there with you, next to you, and says, okay, here it is, Stephen. This, this, this. Okay. And he sits there next to you, and he teaches you, and he bears with you, and there's long-suffering. And he puts up with your dullness and my dullness. Aren't you thankful for that? That God is not tired of you. I'm teaching Lily right now how to ride a bike without training wheels. And I need you to pray for me. She's capable, but she wants to quit. And daddy's got to push her and encourage her. And the same way that I encourage her, and help her is not the same way I have to help Oliver. They, they're different, and they respond differently. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. He knows exactly how to get through to your heart, and he's intent on doing that, and patiently enduring, and allowing you to come to an understanding of the truth, and ultimately conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, teaching also involves correction, doesn't it? Sometimes... The teacher's got to correct us. That is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, oftentimes, he reprimanded and corrected the disciples for their carnal thinking and their lack of belief, yet he never condemned them, did he? Jesus never condemned the disciples, and neither does the Holy Spirit. He convicts you, he draws you, he woos you, he chastises you, he corrects you, not with the intent of humiliating you, but with the intent of restoring you and strengthening you. So I just encourage you, always remain teachable. Always remain a student of the Word of God. Always remain pliable in the hands of the teacher, the Holy Spirit. And you will always be learning. You will always be growing. You will always be maturing. And you can be encouraged that He doesn't give up on you when you are slow to understand, when you are stubborn sometimes, when you are dull of hearing. He strives with you. Number three, and let me end right here. God doesn't get tired of forgiving you God doesn't get tired of forgiving you now there is a cheap grace that is preached today and has been preached from the very beginning grace is not just merely a covering for your sin grace is a means of power over your sin grace is a means of transformation in your life Paul said, you shall no longer be dominated by sin because you're under grace and not the law. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for 1 John 1.9. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for 1 John 1.9 because listen, I don't have it all together yet, people. I've not arrived. None of us have, have we? It's by the grace of God that we've been saved and by the grace of God we'll make it to the gates of heaven. And I'm so thankful that he is not tired of forgiving me. 1 John 1, 9 in the Amplified, if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises 
He's always faithful to forgive. And he's always true to his nature and promises and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything, not in conformity with his will and purpose. If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him and his word is not in us. Put in front of me the most victorious and accomplished Christian that's ever walked the earth. And in the presence of almighty holy God, he's nothing but a puny pitiful ant. And it's by the grace of God that that man was saved and by the grace of God that he'll make it to heaven. I don't care how long you've served the Lord and how close you are to him. The closer you get to him, the more you realize, oh, there's so much more for me to learn. There's so much more of Jesus for me to grasp. Oh, there's so much more pride in me that he wants to root out. Oh, there's so much of a purification of my motives. Oh, there's so much that he still wants to do with me. It doesn't matter how victorious you are, how long you've lived for the Lord. We can be so sincere in our pursuit of the Lord and just get things wrong. Anybody done that? You're sincere. Your, your motives, you, you, you believe, are pure, but you just make a mistake. You, you just do something that you just made a mistake because you're imperfect. And even in your sincerity, you can be in uh, sincerity, you can be sincerely wrong. And oh, aren't you so thankful for his patience with you that he continues to forgive you and he continues to offer you that grace? Though a Christian may have good intentions, we make mistakes. And while we think we have progressed in areas of devotion and personal holiness, the Holy Spirit, He tenderly and continuously, tenderly places His finger on another area of our lives over which He wants further control. And listen, this life in Christ is not one of, of a constant state of condemnation, but it's a constant state of sanctification. And in this life, he doesn't get tired of you saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed that up. My heart is pure. I'm trying, but I messed up. I'm weak. I need your grace. He's not tired of forgiving you. Your understanding of grace will be known by how quickly you get up and repent and move on. Your understanding of grace will be known by how quick you repent and move on. It's just in the moment that you say, Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, help me. It's done. You move on and you progress in the Lord. He never gets tired. He never gets tired and wearied by you coming to Him and allowing yourself to be sanctified and changed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ, if Steve could come help me, please. If you were to look at every saint in the Bible, if you were to look at every man and woman that God used in the Word of God, they were imperfect, weak people. Lowly people, unexpected people. 
And every single one of those individuals are in the presence of God, not because of their own heroic virtue or their own personal holiness, but because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God that has been offered to every person, whosoever will, he will freely give that to whomever asks, he will give. And so, as we read in our scripture, I conclude with this. Here's how the writer of Hebrews concludes. Given the fact that we have a sympathetic high priest, given the fact that we have a high priest who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities, and yet he was without sin, he was perfect. He says, so let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to know today that God is not tired of you as His child. He's not exasperated by you. You have not depleted His patience and His mercy and His long-suffering. The child of God, there's no expiration on God's patience and what is how He'll work it upon our lives. But He says, you can come boldly to the throne of grace on the merit of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. You can come not with dread and terror, with the fear of wrath and judgment, but you can come based upon the finished work of the cross and you can come to the throne not of judgment, but the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. You thankful that it's that easy? Are you thankful that God has given up on you, that He's not tired of you? Are you thankful here today? Jesus, I thank You for Your marvelous grace, God. I thank You, Lord, for this unmerited favor, God. I'm overwhelmed, God, by how much You love us, even when You know just how ugly we are on the inside. You, you, you truly see how unlovely we are without You, God. You see what nobody else sees. You see what, it, what we don't even see about ourselves, and yet You love us, and You bear with us, and You speak to us, and You use us, and You call us, and You glorify Yourself through us. I pray, God, you'd be glorified through every individual here today, God. Your first priority is your glory, and so let that be our first priority. But whatever brings greatest glory to you through our lives, it will always bring us maximum blessing. Let us seek your glory. And in doing so, God, we'll have the greatest amount of blessing. Give us a pursuit of you, God. Give us a great understanding of your nature, of your forbearance, of your grace and your mercy, God. Give us an understanding of your character and your thoughts towards your children here today, God. Let us be assured and comforted by the fact, God, that you're not tired of us. You're not exasperated by us. You don't throw up your hands and give up on us. Help us to be yielded 
to your work upon our hearts. Help us to yield to your conviction. Help us to yield to your word, to make ourselves subject to your commands. Do that mighty work in every single person here today, God. Let our song be amazing grace. Let our song be the song of Calvary and what you've accomplished for us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Could you sing amazing grace with us?